You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Election security, hunting forward, rumor control, and the value of preparation. Maze may be gone, but its affiliate market has moved on. An illicit forum has leaked large repositories of personal information online. Joe Kerrigan shares thoughts on hospital systems getting hit by ransomware. Our guest is Alan Radford from One Identity, who wonders whether robots should have identities. And two more ex-ebayers are indicted in the Massachusetts cyber-stalking case. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, November 4th, 2020. It looks like any other election day, even any other Tuesday. That's what a senior CISA official said yesterday at a virtual press briefing we attended. Senior officials at the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that is, CISA, yesterday tentatively attributed the relative lack of foreign adversaries' action against U.S. elections to deterrence by denial, but they also credited U.S. Cyber Command's hunt-forward operations with having made a significant contribution to election security. The Washington Post quotes the Cyber Command head and director NSA, General Paul Nakasone, as confirming that his organizations took unspecified action against Iranian actors after the threatening email campaign that tried to fly a false Proud Boys flag was determined to emanate from Tehran. CNN reports that hunt-forward operations extended to Russia and China as well. For two years before yesterday's voting, U.S. Cyber Command deployed, quote, the whole spectrum of offensive and defensive measures, end quote, against threat actors in Moscow, Tehran, and Beijing, CNN reports. The New York Times says Cybercom sent squads to Europe, Asia, and the Middle East to investigate tactics, techniques, and procedures. Deputy Commander Lieutenant General Charles Moore explained, quote, we want to find the bad guys in red space in their own operating environment. We want to take down the archer rather than dodge the arrows, end quote. Cyber Command will continue its efforts indefinitely. General Moore calls election defense a persistent and ongoing campaign, and Fort Meade can be expected to remain engaged. 
Returning to CISA, the Homeland Security Agency executed a long-prepared national effort to secure the vote. CISA has for some time expressed the view that public engagement through the media and directly online make an important contribution to cybersecurity. Through Election Day, CISA held a series of six online media briefings, the first at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, the last at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time, providing updates on election security and the perspective their virtual situational awareness room provided. The good news, repeated throughout the day, is that no major cybersecurity threats surfaced during the voting. Since spectacular claims of spectacular wickedness are maybe to be expected in the post-election phase, it's worth a quick review of CISA's rumor control page to see what the agency thinks are rumors most likely to surface. Here's one. If results as reported on election night change over the ensuing days or weeks, the process is hacked or compromised, so I can't trust the results. Well, here's the reality. Election results reporting may occur more slowly than prior years. This does not indicate there is any problem with the counting process or results. Official results are not certified until all validly cast ballots have been counted, including ballots that are counted after election night. This is why the process of counting votes is likely to take days. Certifying them will take longer. Here's another rumor. Provisional ballots are only counted if there's a close race. The truth is that provisional ballots are counted in every election, regardless of result margins. This hasn't happened much, if at all, but there's a rumor in circulation to the effect that if the election night reporting webpage is defaced or displays incorrect results, the integrity of the election is compromised. Again, not so. The truth is that a defaced webpage has nothing to do with either counting votes or certifying official results. And finally, if election night reporting sites experience an outage, then some people think that vote counts will be lost or manipulated. Not at all. If we can take away anything from yesterday's commentary at CISA, it's that election night results aren't official, and reports by news media are, if possible, even less official. Where is CISA getting its rumors and replies? They develop them during the exercises they ran before the election to explore and prepare for the kinds of problems the agency might encounter before, during, and after the voting. It's another illustration of the value exercises and wargaming can hold for cybersecurity. The Maze Gang may have taken down its shingle, but the members of its affiliate network haven't been slow to adopt another ransomware strain. ZDNet says they're migrating to the ransomware-as-a-service option Egregor, itself a spin-off of Sekhmet. According to Dev Discourse, CERT India has published an alert warning organizations in that country to expect a rise in Egregor infestations. Data from the criminal data clearinghouse Sit Zero Day, itself taken down in mid-September, has, according to ZDNet, leaked online, exposing some 26,000 hacked databases. And finally, two more eBayers, both executives, were indicted yesterday on 15 counts related to the alleged stalking, witness tampering, and destruction, alteration, and falsification of records during the harassment of the e-commerce bites mom-and-pop newsletter. James Bao, formerly eBay's Senior Director for Safety and Security, and David Harville, formerly eBay's Director of Global Resiliency, were two former executives named, Silicon Valley Business Journal reports. Thank you. 
Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. To what degree do you anthropomorphize your personal digital assistants? Does there come a point when your automation tools, your assistant in your mobile phone, or your robot vacuum cleaner need to have their own online personas and credentials? It sounds like an odd question to ask, but it's the kind of thing the folks who are in the business of managing online identities have to think about. Alan Radford is regional CTO at One Identity. When you look at how much we have in common with technology, it's important to understand that we as an employee have an owner, quote unquote, which would be our manager. We have a line of reporting. A robot doesn't necessarily have that. So when we think about identity in the context of a virtual identity, there still needs to be a sense of ownership. But it's a little bit different than that, okay? Ownership, accountability, interchangeable in the, in the robot conversation because somebody's always pulling the strings. If I go off and I do something non-compliant, I might answer for that, okay? Or my boss might answer for it, depending on what happens. If a robot does something non-compliant, well, is it doing something non-compliant because it made the decision to do that? Or is it doing it because somebody pulled the wrong strings or it was configured to do it? And so that sense of ownership still comes into play. So where do you suppose we're headed then in terms of, of these, these virtual assistants and, and the, the need for them to have their own identities? Where do you think, where do you see things going? I see things going in, in a more holistic sense. You know, when you, when you create these robots, everything, everything the robot needs to do in order to perform its task gets created as well. So you think about, you're thinking about an employee, employee gets given some accounts, AED accounts and so on. They would use those accounts to go and do some stuff. When a robot's created, 
robot also gets given accounts to go and do some stuff. But the way in which robotic architecture works means that typically virtual machines get spun up for in order for the robot to architecturally do what it needs to do. The arms and legs of the robot, if you will, get spun up in the form of VMs around an organization. And, that, and that's why we see more and more RPA um, DevOps pipelines popping up here, there, and everywhere. RPA tends to filter into those DevOps pipelines. So I see it, I see it going very firmly in the direction of AI, and I think the identity markets has a challenge before it, which is to, to keep up with that rate of change. The rate at which robots are created and destroyed and indeed execute their tasks is, I'll use the word infinitely, the pedants out there may disagree, but for the purposes of conversation, it may as well be infinitely faster than a human employee can. You know, we don't enlist them in HR. We don't go through employee legislation. They don't have any rights. There's no need to pay them. Okay, there's no vacation. There's no sick leave. There's no morale. There's no culture. Okay, and increasingly, those workloads that they're taking on leave things by the by. You know, how much? How many of those robots are using cryptography keys? When those robots are destroyed, what happens to those keys? When the robots are destroyed, what happens to the accounts they were using? Does anybody know? And in the conversations that I've been having in, in, in industries all around the world, you know, I spent time in Australia, North America, and in, in, in EMEA, it's, it's normal to say, do you know what? I haven't got a clue. It's a normal thing. And that's not just for virtual identities or robots, it's the same for people as well. That's why the identity access management industry is a thing. So it is important to consider that when you, when you look at creating robots, how those robots are handled in your organization, who owns them, how are they governed? Being able to answer those fundamentally basic questions if they were a normal employee, that's, that's the grounding force that's going, to see, um, that's going to see us win out over the robots when it eventually comes to that. That's Alan Radford from One Identity. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, we've been tracking these developing stories about hospital systems who've been hit with ransomware 
And I wanted to check in with you, get your take on this. What, what, do you, what, what are your thoughts here, Joe? This is interesting. The, uh, the FBI and the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Homeland Security have all been warning people in, in the medical industry that there is a concerted effort to uh, attack hospitals with ransomware. Now, you remember last month, in September, when Graham Cluley reported on uh, the, we had a story about the, the ransomware attack on the German hospital that right. was inadvertent, and they said, "Hey, you attack the hospital," and the people were like, "Oh, well, here are the keys. Bye." And uh, I was like, "Well, that seems like these guys reached beyond what they were going for, but I don't think that's going to be something that's very common uh, among among these ransomware criminals." And here now we have this gang, this riot gang, targeting hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a Russian gang. And it, it seems to me that this timing is a little bit on the nose, isn't it? Uh, you know, <laughs> to create uh, more chaos in the midst of an election season. Exactly. I mean, this as we're recording this, it's, it's a few days from the election. And this is going to keep a lot of people very busy. I don't know if this is part of some larger election operation on behalf of the Russian, because we know these Russian cyber uh, gangs operate with some understanding from the government that as long as they don't attack Russian assets, that they're, that they're fine to do this. Yeah. Uh, and there, there may be some quid pro quo, quo on that from the Russian government. Like, Hey, when we need you to do something, you'll do it. So university of Vermont is one system that's already been hit with this. Um, the, interesting though, is that the head of their medical center has said he hasn't received a, a ransom demand. Hmm. That is uh, interesting. Well, there have been two other, groups, uh, healthcare systems in the U.S. that have been hit, and the criminals have demanded uh, $1 million apiece from them. Hmm. You know, it, it makes me think about um, kind of the the consolidation that we've seen over the past years, a uh, decade or so, uh, mm-hmm. with some of these hospital systems. Yep. This affects you and I uh, locally. Of course, uh, you're with Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins has a very well-known, well-respected uh, hospital system and yes, they do. our our local hospital here where you and I live in Howard County uh, a while back became part of the Johns Hopkins system. Yes, and it's a uh, good hospital. Yeah, it's a great hospital, but it strikes me that there's a there's a peril here, a potential peril in that when they hitch their wagon to uh, the the larger Hopkins mothership. Well, the, I'm guessing there's some connectivity there between those systems. I'm sure there is. Uh, the, the, there's two sides of this coin. There's the uh, the diversity argument that you're making, right? Uh, right. That if we have more people spread out, and then when a system gets hit, like one healthcare system gets hit, it won't be as bad for everybody in the community. But there's also the uh, the consolidation argument that by consolidating, we can pool our resources and build a better security program because we have more money to do it, which a smaller healthcare system may not have. Right. So I, I don't think that one argument is more valid than the other. Um, but there, but there, you know, I don't know that. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of large consolidations in any market. Um, I think that can be bad, but um, uh, but that's neither here nor there for a security reason. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it's it's a shame that there can't be more uh, international diplomacy and who knows what's going on behind the scenes. But uh, for governments to have influence over other governments to say, hey, look, knock it off. You know, right. medical facilities are out of bounds, just like in war. Right, right, exactly. You know, you don't you don't bomb hospitals. That's so. why that's why those uh, hospitals have big red crosses painted on top of them with white backgrounds right. is so that 
there is no mistake in that, that you're going to be uh, targeting a medical facility. This is this is exact. That's an excellent point, Dave. This is uh, exactly the same thing. These people are actively targeting hospitals um, and, and going after them. And maybe we should say to the Russians, you know, why don't you round some of these guys up and stop this from happening? Yeah, yeah. It it just seems. Uh... I don't know. So it, it, I, I guess in a in a better world, some things would be out of bounds, but it doesn't seem yeah. to be the world that we're in at the moment. I don't know how cooperative the Russians would be with that request, though. <laughs> probably, probably not very. No, but you know, what other by what other means could we convince them that it's in their best interest to uh, apply pressure to the folks who are doing this? It's one of those things that uh, I suppose the folks who are handling foreign policy in the big picture, I'm sure it is on their radar, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, as these, as this becomes a more immediate and proximate thing, right? Like right. as as these as more and more hospitals get hit, the our our representatives are going to have to respond. They're yes. able to have no choice. Yeah. Uh, as as people as lives are lost, there will there will be they they will have no choice but to respond to this, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in something like this that is happening uh, across borders. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly interesting times, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. It walks downstairs alone or in pairs. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.